Do you remember the first time you ever had to teach a class and what, what brought you to teaching that class? Yes, I do remember. Um, I had like, um, I was coaching a ton and I was starting to like filter in the concept of Kronf and like what we did and our philosophies. And I just kept getting reoccurring people, you know, not in just one group in multiple groups. And then finally a couple people reached out to me and asked me if I would teach a whole class on Kronf and the concept of Kronf. And I was like, I didn't feel like I was necessarily ready. Uh, I mean, I, I, know, I don't think any teacher necessarily feels like they're ever ready to start, but you just got to do it, you know? And um, so I put a little class together and taught out of um, Becky Drysdale's apartment in New York in her uh, little side rehearsal room. And um, yeah, it was nerve wracking. And I charged a lot of money. I don't even close to charging that amount anymore but it was more just because I was starting out and I had to I had to pay a lot of fees for space and stuff like that um but yeah it was super scary um I still get nervous when I teach things other than the craft like I still get very kind of like I'm constantly feeling I have to prove myself that um I'm gonna have enough knowledge for whatever level these people are at yeah. Um, yeah. That's so weird too, isn't it? How do you think your personal philosophy? Well, I, one is what is your current personal philosophy on teaching them? Yeah. I think that, um, what I've managed to kind of like, um, filter down to like, what is the most basic important thing about teaching in a, a group setting is ensemble work. Like the most, the most important mindset that I have to get them in is that it's not just them on stage, you know, which I still see all the time. Like there's that one guy that's trying to like impress me where I'm like, don't improvise how you think I want you to improvise. Like if you're good, you'll be undeniable, you know? So it's like getting past your own ego to like, see if you can create a tone and a tempo with your team that's in the moment and correct for right then. You know, because you might have some guy on your team that's like always nails it, always kills it. Right. But he comes in one show and he's kind of like a little low energy and he's not really doing the things that he normally does. So it's like being aware of that and conscious enough to say, OK, I'm going to pick up that slack and kind of start to try to um, move them towards seeing what they're not doing right now. And maybe they'll pick it up if they don't. At least I have rounded out my ensemble how it's usually seen by other people um so I think that's usually my focus is like like love one each other love one one each other love one each other love each other sorry it's so early it's 11 <laughs> you're in LA. right you're in LA <laughs> oh so tired um but like that's so if I can get like a whole group of people, like especially my last class I just taught um, at Westside, it was a level four and it was like a motley crew of people, like all ages, all, you know, something that you'd see in a smaller market, which was like very cool for me, but no, for no reason that these people should be together on a team or an ensemble. But like day one, I went into it and I was like, this is your ensemble. Like, yes, you're doing level four, you're learning these skills, but they mean nothing if you aren't uh, um, 
trying to figure out a way to make them work with every single person in this room. Um, and like, you know, the idea of like, you're only strong as your weakest link. Like, I love that because it also, it, it makes people think there is a weak link, you know? So it's like, it keeps people very kind of like, um, on edge of this idea of like, I, maybe today I'm the weak link, but knowing that and knowing that they have their full ensemble support, if they are the weak link, that they're going to do everything they can to make you look as stable as everybody else, you know? Um, I, and I think that that's pretty much my, been my focus for the past year is okay. just like making sure that there's no judgment, zero judgment. Like you could walk in day one and be like, Oh, that old lady, I have to play with that old lady. But by the end of the six weeks, you're like jumping out to play with that old lady because you found what's so brilliant about her and her point of view and her voice, you know? What are some strategies that you employ to get the students into that mindset? Because I think a lot of teachers might struggle with that, especially in the smaller markets where it really is this hodgepodge of people who are like, I'm just here because I needed a new hobby. And then like the other guy's like, I've got to be doing improv 24 seven. It's in my blood. And now it's bridging that gap between those people. I think what I've found that works the best is like figuring out a way to have them like, um, get to know each other on a personal level. You know, and then um, giving them certain exercises that make them feel like they had a successful moment. So it doesn't necessarily. So I've been like kind of almost moving away from this. This improv scene needs to work, you know, and um, like I love um, I love the living room opening and I love like Park Bench of Truth, like anything that's going to make them start to say talk about their life. And then have another person see it and, like, be interested. You know, it's like, oh, she's talking about back in the 70s when she was a film star. Like, how exciting. And, like, instead of just, like, giving that kind of, like, eye-opening response of, like, this is interesting. Like, actually engaging the conversation. Um, So pushing people, because I'm a big listener. when When I listen to people tell stories, I'll just, like... I will just listen and acknowledge that I'm listening and maybe pop in a few questions. And very rarely will I engage in my own story. Um, So I have to personally push myself to be like, okay, now relate, you know, like relate to this somehow. Uh, Come together in a common thread. And that to me is like, if I feel like if you can have just a normal everyday conversation with a person that's interesting, you know, on a personal level, then you can see it so much clearer in improv scenes because then you're like, what you're saying must be interesting. Like it, it already has this underlying, like it, you are interesting. Like I don't have to find this new thing about you. Every new character I play with you, I find it interesting. I always say that thing of like, be a good detective. Like that's my other kind of like go-to thing for the past couple of years with improvisers I say go into a scene with this idea that you're completely present as the actor and then you let kind of everything that happens in the scene inform your character in a way where you're like, oh, you're talking about your job. So this has to mean something to me. It's a character. Like as long as you're constantly saying what you're saying affects me and my place in the scene, then you're like, oh, I'm 
I must be married to this person. We're, we're, we're going to lose everything. You know, the, the stakes are, are high, but also you're like, all the other things come into play. You're like, I'm married to this person, so I must love them. So I can't just be angry. Like, you know, so it starts to like layer up and the more it layers up, the easier it is to like see the whole picture. You don't have to like be making up points of view and then like it's just there you know it's just common knowledge how long have you been on the west coast now almost six months how do you think how much of that has impacted your teaching at all going from the new york scene into the la scene not a lot like i it's interesting because i found i've been working with teams from all the different theaters um and the common thread that i see is this like what you were talking about earlier, this like linear improv, this like plot driven, you know, not very premise driven improv. So it, it feels slower, but to me, it also feels like people aren't, aren't really hitting the comedic kind of formula that is possible. You know, I know everybody doesn't like to do um, that kind of strict UCB style formula but as much as I think it's commendable commendable to avoid it it works it's like a it's a tool that gets you to visually and conceptually see where a joke lies and how to make it better and bigger and funnier so <coughs> I think embracing um all the different styles of teaching is great, but knowing what works and kind of like trying to filter people towards that is easier. And it, it's actually funny to me because I, I work with a lot of teams from UCB out here and it is very, it's a very different style than New York. Um, which I mean, it's, it's like, of course it is like, we're, they're not necessarily like people say they're a machine, but I don't necessarily think they're a machine necessarily in like, uh, they don't have like a very set training for all of their teachers. It's not like LA and New York teachers get together and they all get trained on the same way to do the same kind of curriculum. They have a curriculum, but they, you know, everyone has their own style. So maybe it's that, maybe it's just that there's like older teachers out here that like how I was taught there. But the thing is, I'm not seeing the premise driven improv as much as I was in New York. Um, so that's been a big change for me because I keep pushing people to go more towards analogous beats or like premise, premise, uh, type scenes and they're getting excited. So I feel like it's good for me because there's lots of people that are like, now seeing that it can be so easy, which means that now they can have the fun. You know, it's not so much stress about like, am I funny? Like the formula's there, just attack it, you know? So yeah, that's the biggest thing. And also it's just like, I, I don't, haven't been teaching my own classes. I've been teaching at a theater, which is like completely different for me. Um, but I'm enjoying it. How do you feel that is different for you? Cause, um, you, you sent, you, you teach Kromf a lot, right? Are you teaching any of that right now in LA? No, um, only at festivals and like when I get called to other States to do stuff, um, uh, that's kind of my trademark uh, workshop, but here I'm teaching like another curriculum, like, a uh, a, a level four, you know, it's just like a, 
uh, I'm going to teach an advanced scene study workshop for four weeks. So I take their old curriculums or because they're kind of transitioning from curriculums too, which is also pretty exciting to be on the ground floor of that. But like, um, I still, I feel like I'm still present and I, you can still feel my style within their curriculum. Um, I look at what the goal is. What's the goal of a level four student? Like what should they know by the end of it? And I make sure that that's definitely part of the process. And then I kind of intertwine things that I know helps get people there closer or faster, maybe just out of experience from doing it so long. Do you find using another curriculum to have some, do you find it um, to give you some freedom or do you find that um, it does give you some restriction? Because sometimes when we have like, you have to do it this way, we find the freedom in that because we can then, like you said, bring your own style into it. Yeah, I think that that it goes back to what I was saying of, like, the goal. Like, as long as I uh, feel like I accomplished what they need out of their students at that point, then I have a lot more freedom. So I start with that, and that feels really restrictive at first, but then I'm like, oh, but instead of this exercise, I like to do it this way because I think it's closer to what the goal is. So I'm not trying to, like, dismiss the curriculum, but almost like retool it in a way where it's like, well, this curriculum might have been written eight years ago. You know, new things and new ideas have come into play. Yeah. So, it, it, so it, yeah, it feels restricting at first. But then once I accomplish their thing, then I feel total freedom. I assume with uh, being uh, employed by the theater and stuff that you guys have to do surveys and whatnot. But did you, when you were doing, when you, like, when you do teach your own classes and whatnot, do you also get feedback in the forms of surveys and stuff from the students? I don't, um, no, I don't do like, uh, give me a, you know, feed me feedback. Like they do at the theater and I have mine in a packet. I haven't even looked at them yet, but, uh, I feel like I know what all of them would say. Like there's like, for me, there's no, um, I don't feel like my students have secrets with me. Like I, if I feel like a, push and pull from a student I definitely reach out um it's very rare that I have someone that's like not grooving on me um but I think that's from doing like 10 years of independent teaching where it's like barely advertised not on a house team uh loosely associated with the UCB for 15 years or whatever so it's for me it's like my product is what people talk about and the results. So I don't even have class, I, class shows. Like I didn't. So I knew that my it was valuable in a sense that um, word was getting around that I could help you become a better improviser for any school. I asked because I wanted to know um, if you ever got any feedback that sort of threw you for a loop. Because I think for some people when they sue. Like if they are with a theater and it's, you know, feedback's required, it can sometimes be hard to read those, right? Especially if you're just not used to it. So I always like to ask, was there something that like threw you for a loop? Yes. I had, um, so, I mean, I taught thousands and thousands of people and I, before I left New York, actually, um, it was, one of my students was like, I don't like this class. <laughs> and I was, I was 
kind of floored by it because I felt like I was doing everything to make her feel at ease. But then, you know, and I, I just hemmed and hawed over it. And like, I kept emailing her and just like trying to get her to engage in like specifics. And I don't know, it just wasn't, um, she just didn't like my attention. And I guess like, cause I wasn't aggressive necessarily, but I gave her a lot of attention. So I feel like there's certain people that are like, like fuck off, you know, like I'm just trying to be in this class. Like stop talking to me, stop giving me notes. And then there's some people that are like more, more, give me more notes. You know, like there's nothing else. Like it's so funny because typically, right? Like typically what we get is they didn't give me enough attention, right? This one is like, I just want to be in the back of the room. Ugh. Fade into the wall and I'd be like, I want to see you out there more. And it would like get her angry. And I'm just like, okay, well, I, so I think that it was a total fluke. I'm being like, cause I, for a while I was like, maybe it was the state I was in cause I was about to move and like things were crazy. Um, but everybody else from that class loved me and I'm still in contact with a lot of them. Uh, so I'm like, it wasn't, I don't think it was me. And I had several people from the class be like, it was definitely not you. Like that is how she is. And, um, so I kind of just had to be like, eh, let it go. One student out of like thousands is not a bad record, you know? No, it's, it's not. And when you say that sometimes you get, if you do run into getting like a push and pull from a student and you reach out, do you reach out? So I think it's also helpful to talk about how you reach out. Do you first hit them up via email? Do you pull them aside in class? Do you try to get to them while they're in class? How are you approaching the student that you're feeling like, oh, I'm not, there's something going on? Yeah, I think for me the easiest thing is just to email them first because it's so removed, you know? Like a lot of people can't face somebody I mean, I would love it if I could just personally have a little meeting with them, but I think it's um, more convenient to be like, hey, what's going on? This is what I'm seeing. Would you like my help? Like offering help rather than being like, this is what should happen, you know? And I always put it in the guise of like, I want to make you the best performer you can possibly be. That is my only goal, you know? Uh, And I will, like sometimes with teams even, I'll be like, make me the bad guy. Like, don't make somebody's team the bad guy. If you have a problem with someone on your team, email me, and I'll figure it out. I think it's easier that way. And then people usually, they'll open up to me. Sometimes it takes them a few days to email me back, but usually the people that take a few days are like, sorry, it took so long. I drafted, like, 12 versions of this, you know, and it's like, um, it's just about letting them know it's okay to engage in conversation with your teacher because when I was taking improv back in the day – you couldn't engage. Like I was constantly trying to engage in the note, but I was trying to learn to be a teacher. And I, but I never said that out loud to people. Um, but people would be like, be quiet, just listen to the note, just take the note, you know, which I totally get that. Um, but as a teacher, like I completely allow people to engage in the note. And that always gets me a little frazzled, right? Cause you're just like, Oh God, they're questioning me. And, and they could be right on some level. Um, and usually they are. Usually they are. And it's like something we've let kind of slip slip down of like, um, oh, yeah, that I should I should preface this with this or, you know. Um, so I love that. And if it's taking too long, if someone's taking up too much time in class, 
usually there's that one person every once in a while that just wants to hear themselves speak or wants confirmation from the teacher that they're engaging in a, a very cool conversation right now. So I will acknowledge it. I'll acknowledge it in front of the whole class. I'll be like, I'll be like, Hey, let's take this to email because it's wasting everyone's time. Like I use keywords that make them kind of trigger of like, Oh, I'm wasting everyone's time. You know, like I have no problem shaming people. Um, if they are trying to control something that is supposed to be an ensemble conversation, you know, cause it, it makes them aware. Like, do you, de- do you have definition of difficult student? Like, you know, uh, cause I know for me, I, I'm sort of at this point, um, not with my like lower level students, but some of like our players on our Herald teams who have been, you know, and our Herald teams are very, very young because especially before we changed the curriculum, they were coming out of only having to take three classes before being on a Herald team. Uh, but now they're reaching the fact that they've been playing, you know, two years or so, which, you know, in this improv world, it's not a lot, but it's enough, right? Like it's enough to kind of know. So when I start to hear questions to me, like, well, when so-and-so did this, was it okay? Fuck off, man. Like, take care of yourself, dude. So I find, and then I'm like, Ooh, but I gotta, like, I gotta bring, I'll have that conversation in my head. I'm like, Ooh, I gotta rein that in. Cause that's that's not an appropriate approach. Like I need to be taking care of them. Right. So I guess that's, so I guess I, I like, I feel like I do define difficult students, but then I also feel bad when I do it. <laughs> uh-huh. I always like, for me, it's exciting to have someone that's challenging me because it makes me reassess like my approach to teaching. Prof. But, um, I think what you're talking about that I have the same kind of thing is like that ego once people, especially people who just like, get on a team, all of a sudden they think they're a genius improviser and that everything that they are going to communicate to other people is genius and, oh, they can teach now. And I think that um, that's always my biggest problem is ego. So it's like I love because I'll teach workshops. I'll teach like um, classes where I have teachers and my, you know, improv teachers taking my class and they have zero ego because they're really just there to learn new techniques probably for themselves, which is great. Um, but so to me, a difficult student or perform performer has let their ego take them to a place that's unrealistic for where they are. Just getting an accolade for being put on a team. Sh- it should just be that like you were successful enough in this room of people to be looked at as one of the best to be put on a team. That's it. You know? Um, cause I've seen so many people, like, especially being out here in LA, especially like standups, like New York standups come out here and do their material and it just doesn't land. And they kind of retreat into themselves and it's like, well, it's not about your material, where you are, you know, maybe it's about your content. So like for me, it was a bit, I was like, Oh God, well, LA audiences think I'm funny, you know, like, I don't know. And I just had to kind of like put it out there. And, um, it feels really cool because it feels like I'm like brand new to improv again, but 
but I'm not, you know? So it's like, it's like that feeling of like, oh, if I could have the knowledge I have now and go back to when I was eight and like live out my life, like that's kind of what it feels like right now where it's like, I have the knowledge. So, um, I can like let go a little bit more and just like be me and not be known as like someone who is on this team with all these great guys. Like people aren't seeing me like that here. They're just seeing me as Amy, an improviser. Um, and that's, that's like super thrilling. What kind of classroom management skills do you think you employ? Like, do you, do you always set up your class? Like, sort of with like a, this is how it's good. You know, we do warm ups, then we go to this, then we go to that. And so that people have sort of that container and, and stuff and, and, and know their expectations. <clears throat> yeah. Like coming from teaching kindergarten for so long, like I had, um, I had this thing of like a base system, like it, um, where it's like this idea that cause we get so anxious right? Going into things like classes, shows. Um, so I feel like having a set little routine kind of gets people out of their way for that like initial, like, here we go. So I leave the first 15 minutes cause you've taken my workshop. It's the same for my classes too. I have the same three things, body, mind, and soul. You know, let's get our body engaged with each other. Um, let's not do something exhausting. Let's physically touch each other. Let's give a, a little massage and kind of like work out the kinks. Um, and then mind, you know, I have them do um, the George Hands Bad Rap, which is just like a combination of two exercises that always destroys people's brains. But then when you actually get, it feels like a miracle and you're like, oh my God. Um uh, and then uh, soul is the mind meld, but without so many restrictions. So you can just like get to that level, you know, that high five, like we did it. Uh, I feel like if you, those first 15 minutes of class, they can accomplish all that, but I allow them to do it on their own. So it's like I train them in it. I tell them why they're doing it. Um, the things that's going to help. So they know that if they keep doing it, keep taking that medicine, you're going to get better. Right. And then, uh, I just walk into class. It also allows me to be late if I need to, which I'm never really late. Happens. Um, but like, I love walking into class five minutes late and people are up. You know, I say, I say, I give you guys from, if the class starts at seven, seven to seven Oh five to talk to eat, to go to the bathroom, whatever. But at 7.05, you get up and you pummel someone. So it's the first thing you're doing is engaging physically with somebody and getting them to talk about their day. It's super helpful to get the icks out if someone's like, my job, my work, my boss, blah. It's like, let it all out now instead of in the scene work. Um, then after that, they move to mind meld. They get it with three people in the ensemble. So at least they feel like they've gotten it with um, uh, a portion of the class or a portion of their team. Then they move to um, either doing like a crom circle, which is just like beating the game to the death, you know, two-person scene, tag run, see if we can go somewhere that's not plot-driven, go for the core behavior to kind of get their brains working in that way. And then I might, if I don't do that, I might do the George Hands bad rap. But the George Hands bad rap is kind of like, it's a ramp up. 
Because it's like we start with something so simple where it's like, really? We're just massaging each other? And then they do the mind meld and they're like, okay, I've done this before. But they start to feel like, okay, I'm starting to get what she's going for. And then I hit them with the really hard warm-up where it's like I tell people, it doesn't matter what level you're at. Like everybody can master this. You just have to get your brain. It's almost like trying to get people to um, – and you take like an SAT course, it's like just getting your brain in the mindset of what kind of questions it's going to be um, is super helpful. So uh, I leave the last one is kind of a surprise. And so I think that that's kind of like the trajectory, something very simple, very common, something that they um, are always doing, then something that's a little bit more towards the improv and then something to get us like are mentally fully engaged in what's about to happen. Uh, so that's always all my classes across the board, even at other t- uh, schools, because I feel like really 15 minutes of a warm up is all you really need. And because um, uh, you don't, you, when do you ever get more than 15 minutes to warm up before a show? Like you really don't, unless you're just gabbing, you know? So, uh, that gives them a common, like, I know what to expect when I walk in. So you see, like, people that show up late, people that will come 10 minutes late because they don't want to be physically touched. They're like, I can skip that part. And to some degree, I allow that to naturally happen. If I keep seeing them consistently late, eh, I'll maybe say something and just like, oh, you don't like being touched, huh? You know, and they usually will be like, not real. And then I will have kind of a lighter conversation in that moment and be like, well, you know, do you know, like actors have to portray people and people touch each other. And like this, it's important to at least going to happen. And when it does happen, I want to make sure you feel safe and comfortable. And this warm up will allow that to happen. I think it's great to encourage them, though, to at least try to engage in the exercise. I had a student who uh, is so funny. And she knows she's in this class to make herself work through these things. But we're talking about how you don't have to take a negative turn to it. You can make a positive statement. She's like, I just don't like to engage with people at all. I'm like, well, (laughs) that's going to be a problem. (laughs) Well, this is exactly why you should be taking this improv class. Right. That's so funny. (laughs) And she knows it, so that's good. What do you do with – are you the type of person who stops the scene when it's crossing a lot of lines, like into something that's too sexist, if there's a thing considered too sexist and too racist, if you will? And do, or do you let the scene play out and then talk about, like, why did you feel it? Um, it's actually pretty interesting. I set up a lot of boundaries and guidelines up top of what kind of shit I won't deal with. So, yeah, I, I think I put people in the right mindset up top. Um, and if there's people that like miss the first day, I'm always like, while they're using their 15 minutes to do everything, I'll personally take them through it. So they know that I'm like there for them. And I think it also gives a sense of like, like, Oh God, like I wasted her time by not coming to the first class. And now she's like, she's like really taking care of me. Um, those are usually the people that step it up the most or those like, 
I missed the first day or like I came late or whatever. Um, but I say like, I wait, I guess the short answer is I wait until the end of the scene. It rarely happens. There was one time cause it's tough. Cause I do a lot of genre stuff. So people, and I do it to kind of engage them in a conversation about uh, what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. Like, are we, are we commentating on bad behavior? You know, it's like if they do a scene from the 1950s and like the husband comes in and the wife's up, you know, up subservient, it's like, how should we do it? Should we go at it with this approach of like knowing history and like knowing how women can go or do we play what it was and make comments about like what it what it could be or what it should be you know so I, I find that people have a hard time when they're doing genre work with me to not like cross the line so I did have I did have one student who we were doing like um I do this thing called southern british um where you basically, it's just to get people's brains to like quickly shift. So it's like if someone, it's like a montage, but if someone walks into the scene and starts speaking in a Southern accent, you have to match that. It's accent. You have to speak in a British accent. Um, and then beyond that, it's like, what can we stay, say with the different levels of uh, Southern accent? You know, like, are we going to play that kind of like cartoonish, like, like, you know, low down kind of, uh, Southern guy, or are we going to play that like high status oil tycoon, you know? Uh, so it's, it's 